What's up everyone and welcome to episode 65 of the Just an Insight podcast. As always, my name is Tim Batbeck. I'm a writer, I'm a lover of films, music and wrestling, but most importantly of all, I'm your body and vehicle through this podcast. Uh, firstly, want to say a massive thank you to everyone for the amazing feedback on the Sammy Irwin episode. Uh, I think it's probably one of our most listened to episodes so far this year, so thank you everyone for downloading it, streaming it, however you ever listened to it. Um, yeah, really, really positive feedback on that, and it kind of validates me kind of going in this different direction of, of doing these one-on-one chats, because um, I hope you guys are enjoying them as much as I am, and I'm getting to, to learn and explore along along the journey as well. Um, talking about streaming it, I am, I know I keep mentioning it, but I'm working this weekend so I'm going to dedicate some time to trying to get things online for YouTube so hopefully come the next episode that we go up maybe not everything will be up but a large majority of the the back catalogue will be on YouTube finally Um, and then I can start uploading YouTube episodes with these weekly episodes as well so yeah and I'm I'm looking to do a bit more with, with YouTube later on down the line as well once once holidays and everything are out of the way in the summer, I'm looking to to kind of dabble in in something a bit more more that way. But I'm gonna keep that under wraps for the time being because it may not rear its head. So we'll wait and see what what goes on. Um, I was planning on keeping this intro a little bit short this week um, because I'm quite tired. I got back very late, uh, sort of Monday morning slash Sunday night. Uh, as I'd spent the weekend in Bristol, that's where I actually recorded uh, this week's episode. Uh, so yeah, kind of just catch need to kind of catch up on sleep a little bit. But yeah, went to to Bristol, uh, saw one of my best friends, well, a couple of my best friends who who now live who live there. Um, just hanging out there and catch up with them, and, and then went to the the gig where I'm out with this week's guest. Um, but before we get into that, uh, I just want to talk about another cool thing that I did this week didn't really get a chance to do a lot of cool things but I did go to the Revolution Pro show in Portsmouth now I know I've bagged on Rev Pro shows in Portsmouth in the past because uh, the crowds are sometimes a bit tedious but a friend of mine uh, who runs the Bitch and Brews podcast uh, Danny Randon so Danny shout out to you um, sort of got me a ticket obviously paid him back but um went along to the show but the main draw was that that cody was the headline uh main event with uh el fantasmo who was thoroughly impressive but it was such a surreal thing to see cody in the flesh like having watched him in wwe as as cody rhodes or as stardust or dashing cody rhodes all these different incarnations and then seeing the evolution of him through new japan and and ring of honor he is a legitimate star now like easily one of the hottest talents in not just independent wrestling in wrestling full stop um i have no doubt that he may go back to wwe at some point and he will be the main event that he deserves to be but yeah like seeing him in the flesh was one thing but that seeing wrestle was another like he was just completely effortless uh, had the crowd reacting exactly how he wanted him. It was just a proper masterclass in what a superstar should be. So yeah, that was that was really cool. Um, but yeah, apart from that, nothing massive. As I said, was in Bristol. Uh, 
Matt, and that's why I'm out with this week's guest, who is the vocalist of uh, Norwich Screamo Four Piece, uh, Cassis, uh, Natty Pe- Peterkin. Um, I hope I've said his surname right, Peterkin. Sorry, sorry, Natty, if I've said it wrong. Um, but yeah, it was really cool. Like, uh, got to to chat with with him about the new Cassis record, which came out this year. Which, uh, unless anything all of a sudden comes blowing out of the the wind is going to definitely be in my top 10 top records of the end of the year. Um, we spoke about his passion for philosophy and art. Um, and a, a question I posed to him, I wanted to get his views on what, why he seemed to think that, well, I th- seem to think that Norwich has this kind of hive of these awesome bands and I just wanted to get his opinion on that. So get all into that, into this week's episode. Um, I apologise in advance if there's a bit of background noise. I've, I've listened to it through. It's there a little bit. I've tried to to tweak the the volumes as best I can. But um, it was a nice day on Sunday when I recorded this. We were sat in this little park opposite uh, Cafe Kino where Cassas were playing. Um, and there was a group of people nearby that were listening to music on their phones or one of those portable speakers or old school going boombox kind of thing. Um, so my speaker's being fairly decent picked up a bit of that sound but it doesn't detract from from what natty's saying so um yeah so please sit back enjoy the nat i have the nat sorry chat i have with natty um and i'll see you on the other side sat well directly opposite cafe kino where uh cassis will be playing later on with vocalist natty peterkin uh second date of joliet tour yeah that's yeah. right yeah we're just doing four with them yeah over, over where, the where, was the, where was the first date the first one was in diy space for oh, london. In london sick how was that yeah that was good um not the most people turned up unfortunately yeah. but apparently there was another kind of um like alternative type show on oh, okay. that, that um, a lot of the same audience were interested right, in so right. we were a little bit unlucky with that <laughs> yeah. I think but some people did come and it's yeah it's a really cool That's space cool. so um, yeah it was good fun well before we kind of get into to your background now you just want to, obviously you, 2018's been quite a busy year for you guys already yeah second album is this ser- like third tour or second tour you've done this year um, this is actually the first one so the, oh is it we did Cause we, so, I know you did the thing with Jotnar yeah, so the, we, like the weekender, I guess. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I guess that could count. So we did a <laughs> we did a weekender with them, which was yeah three shows. Yeah, that yeah. was really cool. Although I was in two of the bands. Yes. Like Cassis I, and I'm not even going to try and pronounce <laughs> your other band's name. It, it's Telus Effluentia, but yeah, it's uh, <laughs> maybe it wasn't the wisest band name choice because nobody can remember <laughs> yeah. what it is. So um, yeah, we. I mean, we named it when it's actually a, a project that was in the pipeline for for years. So we oh, named okay. it. I think we named it when we were still teenagers. Um, oh, okay. Quite a few years ago, and it only actually became an active band much more recently. Right. So it was kind of like a studio project. But anyway, yeah, I was doing vocals for both of those, so that was a, a very intense yeah, yeah. three days. I, I don't know if I could do a long tour in that <laughs> in that style with that kind of music. But um, yeah, so there was that weekend uh, in um, kind of late January, and then we did Miss the Stars. Yes, um, yeah. Which we would have liked to tour around, but not everyone in the band 
was free oh, because right. of um, okay i think i just assumed that you were doing a tour around that yeah to be honest. yeah we actually ended up having to fly over there oh, just, for, just for like two nights which was um quite intense obviously uh, not the most cost effective way but um <laughs> yeah. it was worth it just yeah, to yeah. Uh, just to go there and it's a really nice festival so that's cool it was yeah it was really fun and so this is um yeah if you count the weekend this is only the second yeah set of shows this year Okay, cool. Well, I'm, well, it's just been my perception of you guys <laughs> seeming to be a lot, lot busier than it Well, I'll take that as a compliment, <laughs> yeah. so thanks. Um, well, as, as I mentioned before, I kind of hit the record button. It's kind of a, the show's called Just an Insight. It's kind of a journey through, like, your sort of discovery of alternative music and so on and so forth. So yeah. what was your kind of first introduction to alternative music? Mm. Oh, let me think. I'm not sure. Uh, <laughs> I guess... Um, I only really started getting into music in like a, a serious way, kind of in my early to mid-teens, which oh, okay. is, I, guess I suppose that's the, the stereotypical age yeah, to, yeah. to really get interested in that stuff. And um, yeah, I had a I had a few friends when I was a kid who were kind of um, into alternative music just through word of mouth. So yeah. I, I first started listening to some of the, you know, the really the really most immediately accessible kind of mainstream ones, yeah, like yeah. Uh, on like. Kerrang! Yeah, uh, yeah, Kerrang! Yeah. Radio and Scuzz Radio and Scuzz <laughs> yeah. TV, that kind of stuff. So I was friends who were into like Slipknot and um, yeah. the first ever live show of like alternative kind of music I I went to on my own with friends was um, Mindless Self Indulgence. Oh wow! So the really like <laughs> the really cheesy kind of tacky, yeah, um, yeah. over the top like emo and scene kids stuff. And then when I was like when I was like 15, I discovered Last FM. Oh which, yeah, yeah. Um, oh god, I forgot about that one. Which was yeah, yeah, back in the day, it was at a, like an amazing site. It had a really good. Um, it kind of worked a lot like Pandora does. Yeah, yes. Yeah. And um, I discovered a lot of stuff on my own through that because uh, when I first got into the heavier side of music, I didn't actually have many friends who were into it. I think when I was at school, right. I just had one other friend who was into that stuff. Yeah. And it and even he was mainly only into the like pop punk and and the really like uh, the really shiny like emo yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. So um through Last FM I discovered some some stuff that like suited my own tastes more at the time. Um the first kind of like vaguely close to Screamo band I got into was uh, Silverstein. Oh okay. I was, yeah I was probably um, 14 or 15 yeah, when yeah. I first heard them. And then I kind of yeah went went from there um finding funny bands through Last FM and yeah. city centre and um, just show each other new, new music we'd found like, yeah, yeah. like sit in parks and play it to each other on our phones <laughs> that kind of stuff. <laughs> so yeah I, I, I originally got into like yeah, the quite cheesy stuff like Silverstein and some of the deathcore bands yeah, around yeah. like um, I think that's everyone's kind of journey to start with uh, yeah. yeah yeah so there was one point where I was listening to you know stuff like um, Carn Effects and oh, no, War nice. From a Hullet's Mouth and uh, which actually I still quite enjoy the first one or two War From a Hullet's Mouth yeah, yeah. they're quite in like their, their vocals are like proper screamo vocals yeah, and some yeah. of the early stuff, but so I still quite enjoy that. And um, yeah, like Devil, the Devil Wears Prada and um, Under Oath and yeah, Satan yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what, what was the kind of first band that, I guess like in the traditional sense of screamo, kind of hooked into? Oh, that was probably for me either um, Tristan Zara, yeah. which I think I found on Last FM 
possibly even listening to recommended artists to Silverstein. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so I discovered them quite quite soon after. Yeah, yeah. And I was listening to stuff like Tristan Zara, and then when one of the second earliest ones I discovered was called Love Lost But Not Forgotten. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I really liked their their first record, the self-titled one. It was like this kind of it was kind of quite sloppy almost grind Corey screamo but it had these these ridiculous yeah. <laughs> ridiculous um throat shredding vocals and I just thought it seemed like you know the coolest thing ever because I never heard anything like it yeah, at the time yeah. it was like this is the most intense thing I've ever heard and um I was actually listening to those first discoveries of that kind of screamo around the same time I was still listening to stuff like Silverstein yeah yeah I thought <laughs> so I'm I had this weird mix I'm trying to think because like I luckily I like my older brother was into like similar music to me yeah so he was kind of like putting me on to bands but like i think when he kind of got into like screamo it was kind of like like orchard uh later on ampere and stuff like that yeah but at the same time i was still listening to like atreyu and bleak and things like that so it was kind of yeah i I didn't get into it like later on sort of thing so what was your said like first life experience was kind of self-indulgence but what was your kind of journey into actually getting involved in music did you always want to be a vocalist or did you sort of start playing other instruments where did that kind of stem from um yeah it started with with something other than vocals actually okay. um i wanted to learn guitar at first right. i was into um yeah I was still into when I first started taking guitar lessons, I was still into Silverstein. I've mentioned too many times already now. I'm going to stop, stop saying Silverstein. All right, last mention of Silverstein. Just get out of my system. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I went to um, a guitar teacher who lived quite near to me. He was uh, a guy called Ian, and he was he was really really nice and yeah. really open minded. And um, by just by real um, kind of real coincidence. He had actually been part of like the DIY screamo scene himself when he was oh, younger. Okay. So I, when I told him I was into some of this stuff, he started recommending me bands as well. And he's the first person who recommended me Orchid, yeah, right. who were like a, a real gateway band that was what got me super super into yeah. this kind of screamo. And uh, yeah, it turned out that he used to be uh, in a band called the Mock Heroic. Oh, so okay. he got, I think, he got quite excited that <laughs> I was in, interested <laughs> yeah. in his like his music yeah. kind of thing. And uh, introduced me to a bunch of stuff. And um, yeah, at first when I was having these lessons, I was wanting to learn, wanting to learn some of the simpler, um, poppier emo kind of songs. Like um, well, I learned one or two like Smith songs, and I learned one or two Far songs. Right. I still I still really enjoy Far actually. Yeah, yeah. They're like they're simple but effective. And um, yeah, so then uh, then kind of through him and then through some of my friends who I was sharing music with, I, I kind of got more and more into it and started meeting meeting other people more into that stuff and started going to, to DIY shows. Um, I think I first started going to proper DIY shows maybe in like 2009 when okay. I was in my kind of mid to late teens. And um, there was a venue in Norwich called The Marquee that used to be right. super active for the DIY hardcore yeah. scene. So I had a phase where I just went to all the stuff. So saw a complete mixture of things like um sort of leading through who you mentioned oh, yeah, there yeah. once and um yeah and stuff like uh harm's way and um daylight who, oh wow well, yeah, um, yeah yeah i think it was on their first uk tour and it was like a mostly empty show but yeah, um, it's yeah. discovering all these new stuff and um basement did a lot of their earliest shows in norwich as well because they're from ipswich oh, yeah, cool. and they were they were often like first support for a lot of these bands That's, as yeah. well and uh, as were same as lower than atlantis i'm sure i saw them 
on like first support at like five different shows at the yeah, marquee. Yeah. So um, yeah, that was that was an awesome venue to to be discovering new bands. And um, by this point, I'd started a band with the um, the guitarist who's still still in Casas with me today, oh, okay, called cool. um, Kelvin. And um, yeah, we'd met in like our mid-teens, and we first started a band that was a bit more like yeah, deathcore, post-hardcore <laughs> yeah. kind of stuff. And then because we're sort of exploring the these new like um, genres together, we kind of started developing the music together. And um, some of the other members of the the first band we started kind of left, and then we went through different lineups, making different music, and eventually yeah. kind of settled on Cassus, which was in like late 2011, early 2012 yeah. kind of thing. So those kind of were you kind of actively like playing shows in that sort of that first like, incarnation of, of that band? Um, where we could, yeah. The, so the first band we ever actually played proper live shows with was called Measures, and it was nice. a pretty a pretty bad um, <laughs> melodic hardcore band. At that time, we were quite inspired by things like um, More Than Life. Yeah, yeah. And um, I was really into Dead Swans at that point. I think I was maybe 16 to 17. Right, or, okay. Ish. Yeah. And um, yeah, yeah, so it was that kind of like uh, really hot on your sleeve. Um, melodic hardcore yeah. and um, so were, were you doing vocals at this time yeah oh yeah so I forgot to explain how <laughs> that cool, happened man. I completely distracted myself um, yeah so I started uh, I got into got into that kind of music more through learning guitar but then my friend Kelvin was suggesting starting a band and he was already a much better guitarist right. than I was so he wanted to do guitar and um, a couple of our other friends Chris and Callum um, decided to just kind of like take a punt on it and learn an instrument for the yeah. band and um, Chris already had a drum kit he was already kind of interested in Callum Callum wanted to do bass um, and I, I had been interested in vocals because vocals were one of the things I often focused on when I was yeah, listening to music I, I'm very much the same like yeah because I, I do I, I'm a vocalist in like a sort of like a noise grinding core band but like the same thing of growing up like lyrics and vocals was like everything that I was kind of yeah. drawn to whereas my brother who was a guitarist was like do, doing all like the chug riffs in his bedroom and there's me pretending like and ah, like, like with alongside him sort of thing so that's how I kind of <laughs> got, got on that path sort of thing yeah it's, it sounds like a kind of similar similar process <laughs> yeah. we went through so yeah I, I kind of realized at this point that it was the vocals I was actually connecting with yeah. the most and I was more I was more inspired by um really interesting um kind of uses of the voice and lyrics than I was by the guitars and um because yeah because my friend who was a good guitarist wanted to start a band I just decided to to try it out yeah. and then yeah I discovered I really enjoyed it and um, <laughs> yeah. yeah never looked back after yeah. that that first practice really so going back to that that first band obviously as you say kind of did, were you quite not necessarily active but were you were you playing shows or was it just kind of that kind of early sort of testing the waters kind of ground? It was, I'd say somewhere between the two. So we did a lot of practices and actually wrote and scrapped songs before we ever even did our first oh, wow, okay. show. So we were probably doing practices for the better part of a year before we ever played a show. Yeah. And um, we, yeah, we'd gone through a f writing a few songs and then abandoning them before they ever saw the light of day. <laughs> and, um, and then, yeah, eventually we did start playing shows and as that first band measures, we must have done a total of well under 10 shows oh, so it was okay. like five-ish shows um, <laughs> yeah. and uh, yeah one of the last ever shows we did 
I think maybe the last show we did as that band was um, with For the World is a Beautiful... No, not, sorry, not then. Um, For This World is Hollow. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And These Hands Have Touched yes, the Sky. yeah, yeah. Who were um, one of the first DIY screamo bands that we actually kind of met in yeah. person. And, um, yeah, that, that show must have been in 2011, and I put them on myself. It was the first show I'd ever organised as uh, still a teenager yeah. and um, I didn't really have a clue what I was doing I probably didn't do it very well <laughs> but we did it in a local pub and you know got um, a, a reasonable amount of people did turn up which was good yeah. um, and um, yeah and we kind of were, were quite inspired by them at the time as well and um, through them we started like chatting to other bands yeah. in that kind of scene so we quickly made friends with um, I Don't Want to Know Why the Cage Bird Sings yeah, yeah. and it was around that point where me and Kelvin wanted to progress from what we're doing with that that previous band yeah. where the, the songwriting was a bit all over the place we had to kind of um, um, yeah you could, you could kind of tell listening to the music that we didn't quite know what direction it was yeah, going in yeah. and it didn't all fit together that well and so then me and Kelvin kind of um, refined the songwriting um, together um, decided that we needed to change the band name because we didn't want to associate the new music with the, yeah. the first EP we'd done and um, but the other two band members weren't so into this direction of the songwriting right, okay. but um, the other two guys who were in the band weren't quite as passionate about doing a serious band as, as me and Kelvin right, were okay. so we, yeah we parted ways quite amicably you know that the other guys decided um, it decided wasn't it wasn't for them, for them. Yeah. and then yeah and then we kind of started looking for other people to play shows with and uh, the first tour Cass has ever did was with a uh, with I don't want to know why the case I was just about to ask because I think that might have been my first. Did you play like in Southampton? Yeah. That was so. That was the first time I saw you guys was on that because I vaguely knew Ben yeah. at the time, and I think did Feathers put that show on? I think so. Yeah, I can't. Southampton which wasn't happening that yeah. often so whenever it did it was sort of like oh a rarity I need to go along to this sort of thing yeah um yeah I think I think it was it was him who organized that and um um in that tour half the guys from I don't want to know why the cage bird sings were actually filling in for the, the missing half of the band oh, right, that okay. Cassa still had so we'd done our by this point we recorded um our first set of songs as Cassa yeah. so it was on like a split cassette tape with I don't want to know our cage bird sings, yeah. so it was like a, a, a one week release tour of that tape. Um, and coincidentally, we actually put that tape together in Cafe Kino, which oh, we could wow. see across the road. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because um, those guys all lived quite near yes, to Bristol course, yeah, at, yeah. at that point. So um, we're doing a show in the venue across the road from Cafe Kino. Uh, the Croft, I think, was it? Yeah. Croft? Yeah. yeah. Um, um, and uh, yeah, so we put the tapes together there, and those guys covered for half of Cassas on that <laughs> tour while we were still looking for other mem members. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was really, really uh, generous of them. And you mentioned obviously like when you were growing up, like Norwich having sort of the marquee as a as a venue and like getting these bands that you were kind of like going along and seeing. And like, I don't know, for like from an outside perspective, like there always seems to be like a handful of, of bands that are from that city that just 
I don't know. They seem to like click to what they want. So like maths mm. is a prime example. Like yeah. They obviously, I know they're quite intimate on what they do, but when they do play, everyone like seems to gravitate towards them. Um, Alfie's other band, Reno Dakota, did a bit. You guys yeah. are doing great things going around Europe and stuff. Algie Bloom, another one. So, was it? Is there something in Norwich that I don't know? Like, from an insider, that you kind of think because you guys are all part of that same group that you have a similar mindset in how you approach music, or is it just coincidence? I don't know. That's a good, <laughs> it's a good question, but one that I'm really not sure of the answer to. I'm afraid. Um, I didn't know. Um, I didn't know the the guys from Maths or even their music actually oh, when okay. I when I first started Cassas. We kind of encountered them through doing that kind of yeah. music, um, and it was it was almost almost coincidental in that sense, I suppose. But then one of the people who introduced me to that scene of music was um, from the like the previous wave of Norwich right. screamo bands. Yeah. So perhaps that wave of bands influenced Maths in the same way. That that guy maybe um maybe kind of informed me yeah. about about that music. So there probably is a connection there, but maybe indirect yeah, when it yeah. comes to maths. Um, but we we had also seen um because um we had seen Ravachal in Norwich as well yes, around that yeah, time, yeah. and um yeah we were partly partly inspired by local DIY bands yeah. doing doing similar kind of music. Um, so then yeah, in terms of like a a regional writing style um if there is it's not a conscious <laughs> yeah. choice i just think it's, it's just <laughs> or, it, it's unusual sorry. that like especially like screamo wise so many good bands have come out of that city in, in the uk anyway mm. like uh, like screamo wise there's maybe along the south there's maybe like a handful yeah further north you go there's a bit more but yeah it's, i don't know it just seems like norwich seems to be this hub of it for some reason Yes, yeah, it's, it's funny. Um, we we were actually playing some shows with um, Algae Bloom, Matt's um, previous band. Yeah. When we were in our previous band as well, so right, we, we okay. kind of um, we're kind of connected in in that way as well. So maybe we'd been um, kind of going in similar directions. Yeah, so, yeah. So yeah, maybe there is this kind of um, this kind of shared pool of communal inspiration that yeah. kind of seeps into the subconscious <laughs> of um, yeah. of people who are like you know playing playing the same shows and stuff yeah, like that yeah. I'm, I'm sure that is i'm sure that is present in some way um and nate who's um plays bass in cassis now did also used to be in reno dakota right, so there's okay. another another connection there so yeah it's a i guess it is a kind of close-knit yeah, network yeah. really and obviously you said like that first tour that you did with cage bird obviously since then you've done two records various other other tours so was there ever a a point that you can kind of think like everything sort of just clicked into place that you you were like okay we can actually get a bit of momentum behind this and you started mm. getting seeing people co- actively wanting to come to your shows and getting behind what you were doing as casters um yeah i think maybe the first time we we felt that kind of that kind of excitement and possibility was when we first went over to to mainland Europe right, to do yeah. some shows, so uh, we played a show with Resurrectionists, which I think might have actually been their last show or one of their last okay. shows, which was uh, in Brighton. And um, we'd already been talking to Lars, who's um, I 
think he, yeah, he, Lars was a guitarist of that band. Right. And he also he also runs the record label React with Protest that we uh, were. Oh right, I see the name all the time, but I don't know. So that now yeah. makes sense of that connection. Yeah. So we were already fans of that label and yeah. the bands they've been putting out long before we ever met him or talked to him. So we'd actually emailed him um, asking if he'd be interested in helping us put something out. Yeah. Um, this was after we'd done our second split, with, which was with Silencio, Ahora Silencio. Yeah. And um, and he said, he said yes, that he'd be interested in working with us. So um, we finally met him in person at that Resurrectionists yeah. show. And... Um, they decided that, that they enjoyed our set and um, invited us to do a tour with their other band, Republic of Dreams. Right, okay. Um, which was super exciting because we were actually already fans of Republic of oh, Dreams. Nice. Yeah. So, um, it, you know, it was like, a, yeah, slightly starstruck almost. <laughs> um, so, and because they were already really experienced um, at doing DIY touring, yeah. they were they really looked after us when we went over there. So they sorted out the van rental in the back line um, and we just had to get ourselves over to Europe and they'd booked the shows for us. So, um, yeah, well, they, they gave us a really awesome, awesome yeah, first yeah. international experience. And um, that some of those shows over in mainland Europe um, were the, the first shows where people were really like, we could see that people were beginning to um, actually be excited yeah, watching yeah. our music. Because before that, we hadn't settled on a permanent lineup and we'd only quite, by the time we played that, um, Resurrectionist show that was actually the first show with the lineup that we've remained with until right, today. Okay, that's cool. So that was kind of the first show of Cassus as it as it is yeah. now. And um, yeah, hopefully we were kind of improving from that point onward yeah, yeah. And, and getting to a point where maybe the music was um, a little bit <laughs> a little bit less <laughs> scrappy and um, there was a bit maybe a bit more substance for people to get into. Um, um, and um, so then we did the the first LP with React with Protest yeah. and a bunch of other small labels um, who all chipped in, all from different countries, and um, and then we did yeah then we did a couple more tours um, mainly around Germany yeah and a few one-off shows here and there in the UK and um, yeah uh, people started getting getting excited for that record and we uh, we sold it out mm. and um, then there was a, a kind of long gap in until the the record that's just come out it must have been over two years yeah somewhere between two and three years i guess so there was a, enough time for maybe that first record to circulate for a while and and um yeah people seem seem to get yeah. into it so um yeah just kind of slow and steady build, build <laughs> yeah. um building up of momentum i guess and like for some reason like mainland europe seems to be a hive for like screamo like obviously yeah. they've you mentioned Mr. Stars, they've got Fluff, they've got Crimea River, probably yeah. various other like festivals that I'm forgetting, but just in general, like it that seems to be where like the more sort of screamo bands go. So like with you having that experience, why do you feel like over there it's more kind of I don't know, they're more passionate about it than here in the UK because like mm. as I say, I've seen you guys quite a few times and I absolutely love you guys and I love the, like that whole sort of screamo scene, but here in the UK like it can be few and far between, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. The, this kind of um, DIY uh, hardcore scene in the UK does, yeah, yeah. It's, it's spread a lot thinner yeah, over, yeah. over a wider distance. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's um, in in Germany in particular, mm. they seem to really, really love this kind of screamo. Um, 
I don't really know the reason for it, to be <laughs> yeah. honest. Um, it's, it's maybe partly because they've, over the years, they've had quite a high proportion of the bands in that genre have, have yeah, been coming yeah. from Germany. Um, but, but yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe they're more into heavy music in general in Germany. Uh, I think their government is a bit more supportive of DIY venues as yeah, well. Yeah. So some of them, some of them kind of look like they're squats or something, but you you find out later that they've actually got some funding, funding from the yeah. government. So, so I think it might be. Uh, is it Holland? Hmm. So the Holland or Austria have a, a, a similar thing where literally like. If you're like classes like an arts foundation or yeah. something like the government just give you money and like as you say like yeah. there's venues over there I'm sure you've probably witnessed that are, are literally like from the outside look like they're about to fall down but you get inside and they've got like the latest like PAs yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, and they've often got like you know better microphones than some kind of established bands you've seen yeah, touring yeah. using and yeah, yeah, it's um. I mean, it's really cool, and it's it's awesome that their governments are more supportive of that. So, that yeah, that probably has yeah, yeah. some impact on it. Um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's connected partly to social welfare in the countries maybe, as well. Yeah. If they're um, if people have a little bit more money to spend or a bit more free time, they might um, have have more energy and funds to go, yeah, yeah. go to more shows yeah. and buy more records. But um, I'm just speculating here. I really don't know. <laughs> no, <Yeah. that's> cool. <laughs> um, I'm going to fast forward a little bit, obviously, okay. beginning of this year, obviously released Separation Anxiety, got hmm. rave reviews, um, from kind of, obviously you said there was that period gap between the first record and the, this record, yeah. so first and foremost, what, was there a reason for that gap, and secondly, how do you kind of personally feel that the band has grown in that time to releasing the record now? Okay, um, well I think about the, the first question first uh, with the gap it was definitely not an intentional gap <laughs> that it was that long. unfortunately it's um it's mainly circumstantial so when the first record came out we were all living in the same city in yeah. Norwich and um um a little while after that one came out Sonny our drummer started uni he's, he's started it a bit late in his, right, okay. in his early 20s and um he's studying He's actually studying drums. But, oh wow! Um, okay. But in uh, in a college in London, so he's living in London at right, the moment. Right. Okay. And he's got a super busy schedule, so unfortunately, we just haven't been able to meet up to write anywhere near as frequently right, okay. as we used to. So it's um, it's kind of been more effort to achieve less. Yeah. <laughs> um, in <laughs> yeah. the in the time frame. So uh, so we would rather have done it a little bit. A little bit faster, but yeah. we've just been um, working with the circumstances we've we've no, ended no, up with. That's fair enough. And um, yeah, the the progression of the songwriting. Um, sorry, can you repeat the question? No, like, <laughs> how do you kind of feel like the band's grown? Because I think from a from a personal perspective, from the the difference between the two records, there's obviously still there's a massive like you can hear like the passion that you guys write and play with. Yeah. But I don't know, just almost kind of sounds like you know like I mean this in a nice way but like you know how you want to write a Cassis song yeah if that makes sense yeah probably probably it is largely just kind of getting used to each other's yeah. writing styles and kind of developing a um a group writing process yeah. um that's kind of yeah the, the more accustomed to each other each other's approach you get maybe the more um the more fluidly you can kind mm. of work with each other and the better you can 
communicate ideas to each other and stuff maybe um maybe maybe the more open to each other's ideas people become as well yeah. um, but we were consciously trying to mix things up a little bit more as well because we felt like um you know if we were writing a second record that was too that sounded too similar to the first record it would feel like there's almost no no point in writing it yeah because, yeah um, and be kind of like doing the same the same thing again. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I kind of personally, I'm much more interested if a if a new record from a band I like has some really different ideas that I wouldn't expect in yeah. it, as opposed to stuff that is um, stylistically very familiar, which I might actually like more at first, but then it kind of has a shorter lifespan because yeah, it, yeah, it doesn't um, it doesn't make me think about it, and it doesn't doesn't kind of challenge my expectations yeah, yeah. at all. So, um, yeah, personally, I, I really prefer things to kind of be a little bit more experimental and risk-taking Yeah, well, because I think, way. like, again, from a personal perspective, like, the, the new record, like, there's a lot more of you singing in it as well yeah. as screaming than compared to the first record. Yeah. So, again, was, is that kind of going back to that ethos of sort of trying something new and experimenting with, with the sound sort of thing? Yeah, I think it is. Um, maybe also getting a little bit more confident with, with right, my okay. own with my own voice and um, my own kind of range of ability a bit but um, uh, oh sorry I was going to say something <laughs> cool. no, um, yeah I also felt uh, something I kind of realised um, after we finished the first record was that when I'm listening to heavy and kind of like you know emotionally dark music i find that it has more of an impact if there's um more contrast right, so there's okay. kind of kind of lighter quieter or um or less intense parts um if those are juxtaposed against the really intense like heavy parts so you know like yeah yeah you know um shredding guitar and like you know the most intense screamed vocals you can do yeah um, I find that yeah, if that's kind of balanced out with parts that are very different, they the heavier parts feel heavier. Yeah. So um, yeah, that that was something maybe we realised over time was that um, I, I wouldn't say exactly less is more, but just more difference yeah, in general yeah. um, emphasises emphasises those heavier bits in a, in a more effective yeah. way. No, I get that. Like yeah. it's rather than it being like letting it plateau you're kind of going in peaks and waves sort of thing exactly yeah, yeah. so I, I find like if i listen to a lot of kind of uh, grindcore for example yeah, yeah. it stops sounding intense after a while because you get <laughs> yeah, used to it yeah if they if there's only so much finger wagon you can do <laughs> yeah exactly like um there's there's a lot of records where the guitar is completely you know maximum gain for the entire record yeah and yeah the vocals are as hard as they can go for the entire record yeah yeah and um yeah it, like you said it, it kind of plateaus and you get used to it so it kind of shakes you up more and keeps you on your toes yeah, more no, if you're that. listening yeah, to yeah. stuff that goes up and down and in and out and in terms of kind of context <laughs> like what what kind of inspires you as a, as a vocalist to sort of like when it comes to writing your lyrics to writing my lyrics is um That's a, it's a tricky one. Um, it's, it's probably most often books. Okay. Any, <laughs> and, uh, any in particular? Yeah, I, I'm really into 
philosophy. Okay, um, cool. I'm not an expert on it. I haven't studied it or no, anything no, no, like no, that. But but it's just um, like a, something you're passionate about, sort of thing. Yeah. So, so when I was in my teens, I got really into the Situationist International, which right. is kind of like a mixture of philosophy and politics and kind of like. Um, yeah, kind of like cultural criticism and stuff all okay. mashed together, which I found really interesting because it had that kind of creative and passionate aspect, but it also had this kind of mentally challenging aspect where you, where you think about like uh, the nature of society yeah, yeah. and things like that. And that, that really turned me on to philosophy. And then I got into, um, got into existentialism, um, read a bunch of books by um, Sartre. I'm just, I know I'm saying his name wrong, but I don't know how to say it the right <laughs> way. Cool, and um, and Camus and stuff like that. And um, Zizek. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I get quite excited by these kind of um, philosophers who are looking at. They are they are kind of like looking at the nature of life and consciousness, yeah. but they're also putting it into a, a social and political context. So all of these, all of those writers are, are kind of both intellectually active but also very politically yeah. active and very 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 morally engaged and so is it kind, kind of, of like your interpretation of, of what they're kind of saying is that is that reflective in your in your writing yeah so some, sometimes i am like directly inspired by an, an idea in a book i've read but um what really inspired me sort of what connected all those writers i just mentioned in in what i found so inspiring about them was kind of that holistic approach where they kind of been using their philosophy to kind of unpick their experience of life right okay so um yeah so for me the other main experience the other main influence is is just life experience yeah you know, the things the things that i find difficult to talk about in everyday life or maybe that there isn't a platform to talk about in everyday yeah, yeah. life things that people don't really don't really want to hear a lot of yeah. the time or um things that yeah things that are maybe um culturally suppressed to an extent yeah, yeah, as well yeah. so so the song be a man on on the new record was kind of about that how, yeah. about my experience of that um cultural um pressure to behave a certain way that yeah. is never kind of criticized in the public realm and you're kind of um you're kind of seen as a a nuisance if you try and like bring it up especially yeah, like yeah. In, a, in a workplace or something like that i mean obviously there are there are much more progressive workplaces but yeah, um, yeah. a lot of the more corporate ones and bureaucratic ones kind of um just don't want to deal with that kind of stuff <laughs> yeah. and they, they don't really care about um people's identity issues yeah, and things well, like that yeah <laughs> i know i know exactly what you mean yeah and um, so in terms of kind of like what you guys are, are doing at the moment something else i wanted to mm. to talk to you about is obviously kind of your other sort of side of the band I guess is, is kind of you quite contribute to the artwork yeah so again is there some I don't know because I think with the earlier stuff there was a very distinguished look of what you guys were going for like mm. kind of like with a scratch name sort of a lot of black and white and things like that and obviously this time around it's a bit more kind of visual Obviously, mm. they both are, but like in a di in a different way. Yeah. So, what again? What what were you kind of drawing on from to kind of? Because I say you you are a band that's kind of almost got an aesthetic when it comes to artwork, whereas mm. some bands maybe just sort of like yeah, that looks cool. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, I guess the before the artwork on the new record, it was yeah the the visual style was very like almost old school punk yeah. or something you know extremely handmade looking and 
a lot of stuff that are kind of collage together. Yeah, a, yeah. a lot of it literally was collage and, uh, you know, collage mixed with like bits of paint and um, yeah, handwriting and stuff like that, which, um, yeah, which I really enjoyed. Um, so when I went to, went to uni, I studied illustration. Right, okay. And um, I got, yeah, I got quite into the whole analog kind of approach to it because there was a, well, there is, there is quite a heavy bias towards digitally produced work in, in the illustration industry these yeah, days because yeah. it, is, it simply is a lot more efficient. You know, you can make <laughs> yeah. that stuff a lot faster and it can do a lot more in, in certain ways. You know, it can do, um, it can achieve effects achieve effects a lot faster and um, be more versatile yeah. when people need a fast turnover. So I completely understand why it's so important in the illustration world, but yeah, but, but my kind of interests were a bit more like, um, you know, counterculture, subculture stuff, and I, I wasn't really... Um, a lot of the more commercial stuff left me feeling very cold, so right, I kind of okay. wanted to... I kind of wanted to go against the grain a bit and make it look sort of scrappy. And I knew that it was looking scrappy, yeah, but, yeah. but I kind of liked it because it felt more human, I yeah, suppose. Yeah, that's cool. And um, I still do like that kind of stuff, but I feel like artistically I kind of um, played that that particular concept out on the yeah. first record because we did like a we did like a forty page booklet of, oh, okay. of artwork that came came with the record. So. Um, it was a really big project um, for me personally. Yeah, yeah, of course. And um, I really enjoyed doing it. But then for the next record, I felt like I wanted it to have a, a completely fresh concept. So it, yeah, it looks a lot more controlled, um, and it is. And that's probably partly because I did um, a design MA after I did illustration. Right. So I wasn't thinking in terms of design at all before. But now I've got a bit of a more of a mixed yeah, yeah. A mixed background and um, and I, I also studied fine art before I studied illustration and through doing the illustration degree I realised actually fine art was more in the realm of what I'm interested in okay. than illustration <laughs> but I had to I had to study illustration yeah, yeah. to realise that um, I think it was also maybe as I matured a little bit I realised that um, I used to be more into illustration but then as I got I got a little bit more experience in looking at a lot of people's work. I, what I began to um, began to understand myself better and realised that the work that excites me is always the stuff that has an interesting concept behind it. Yeah. So if it's just visually pretty and um, you know a, a good composition or whatever, um, I can appreciate it to an extent, but it doesn't. Um, stimulate my mind yeah, in any way. yeah yeah I so uh, yeah i might enjoy it but then forget it a while later <laughs> whereas if there's something that maybe i actually hate how it looks but then it's sort of says something or questions something in a way that i've never done myself before yeah. and, and makes me think about it sometimes i i see a piece of artwork like that and um think i hate it and then I find myself thinking about it, yeah, like you keep going days back later, to sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. and I realise, oh wow, yeah, that was um, that was like a way better piece of artwork than the one I thought I liked. <laughs> so um, it's always the way, isn't it? The th you get the things that you like, you think you absolutely hate, and they're the ones that stick in your head the most, sort of thing. Exactly, like. yeah. And then you might end up loving them a lot more than the things you used yeah. to like. So um, yeah, I, I kind of got to know myself better artistically and realized I was more interested in that kind of conceptual approach yeah. 
and then yeah getting a bit more design training so I felt more confident doing that side of things um, so there's a there's a kind of concept behind the design of the new record which is um, basically a, a juxtaposition of um, kind of chaos and order so yeah. the, the outer cover is almost completely white mm. it's very um, almost kind of like clinical and cold looking <laughs> and it's, um, it's just got pale pale grey text that's super minimal and it's loads of white space and then there's a, a 12 inch print of a abstract painting that yeah. slots in and there's a window on the front that um, shows you like a slice of the painting so um, yeah the basic idea behind it was to kind of show this um, this combination of the, the two opposite ends yeah, of the spectrum yeah. where the painting is really chaotic it's very it's very uh, organic looking because it's um, clearly handmade yeah. whereas the cover looks um, you know almost kind of mechanical because yeah, it's, yeah. it's digitally designed and the text is a font rather than handwritten yeah and um, I kind of thought that concept would reflect the direction we've been going with um, going in with the new music yeah. where there's more of a, a mixture between kind of chaos and control and yeah, like the, yeah. the, the I think that's the to be fair, I think that's a really good like way to kind of sum up the album to be honest. I've never really sort of I guess obviously hearing it from the horse's mouth is kind of a bit more sort of puts it into perspective but because yeah. obviously as I mentioned earlier with your kind of singing in it a bit more and, and you saying that it kind of gives that juxtaposition of where the heavier bits drop in it kind of does bring everything to a whole a lot more which is hmm. which is cool to kind of see you obviously put a lot of thought into it and it wasn't coincidence <laughs> yeah well, I'm, I'm glad it kind of delivered the message <laughs> yeah. I, I hoped it would <laughs> um, one thing I do want to quickly ask you before I wrap up um, yeah. You guys played Fluff last year. Yeah. Were essentially the band that closed Fluff last year because obviously the tent stage goes on after the main stage. Yeah. Um, so how was that kind of experience for you? Because I, I, from memory serving me well, I think all three of you minus Sunny were crowd surfing at some point. So. It, yeah, it was. Um, it was quite. It was quite a crazy show. Like probably the one of the most like nut shows I've seen you guys live. <laughs> really? Yeah. Uh, well, Fluff. To be honest. It was um it was quite terrifying because oh, we okay. we never played a show anywhere near that big. Yeah. It's like you know, hundreds of people. Um, even, even though the ten stage isn't the biggest stage, it was it was like packed with hundreds of people. And yeah, playing last of the festival gave us the entire weekend to kind of psych up and worry <laughs> about worry about it. See all the other bands playing at like a really high yeah, standard, yeah. and like the you know the more good bands we saw, the more like. Um, the more insecure we started feeling about like <laughs> trying to live up to yeah, yeah. live up to that that standard. So um, yeah, half half terrifying, but half really really exciting. Yeah. It was um, yeah, it's an amazing opportunity to go to a festival like that. And um, yeah, like I said, we never played a show with anywhere near that many people yeah. in it before. Um, the biggest thing we'd done before that was Crimea River, right, um, yeah. which was maybe a couple of hundred, which was also really intimidating <laughs> and um but it's a really lovely festival yeah. and very friendly so that that helped a lot to kind of dampen the anxiety yeah yeah um but yeah it was it was super exciting and we were all like completely like dripping with adrenaline <laughs> partly because of the nerves yeah at, yeah at fluff so m maybe maybe that's why it was an intense performance um because yeah because we're all kind of so that kind so of anxious energy a lot, sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah a lot of nervous energy i'm sure we played the songs like way faster than we're meant to be playing them <laughs> <laughs> cool. 
cool. But um, we, yeah, we put as much into it as we possibly could as well because uh, because we like valued. Yeah, yeah, no, that's cool, man. Valued being you know being able to be at that place like yeah. several countries away from home so it's just yeah it was amazing and how we wrap these up is i ask my guests is what their kind of favorite song is but with a bit of a twist so okay. what's your favorite casa song that you like to play live and why okay hmm actually for me at least at the moment it's the last song right, on the okay. new record which is called reduced possibility engendered determinism and um it's kind of like a song that, that wraps up all the themes right, okay. in the record. So it's kind of got um, a little bit of a, a few different threads that it kind of pulls pulls together. So for me, I feel like it is a, it's like a a really good song to represent the whole the whole project. Yeah. At, least, at least from the lyrical point yeah, of view. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, I just uh, it's a it's a really like a really intense song. Like the first um, half or two thirds of it is. Is mainly really fast, but then there's a few, a few kind of melodic bits in to break it up. So it's kind of like a, for me, it's a good balance between like aggression and anger, yeah. but also, uh, bits that sound a little bit more, a little bit more sentimental yeah. and, and vulnerable or something. And it's got um, yeah, it's got a, a clean guitar and clean singing, outro part, which um, it kind of, the part directly before that um, is like super heavy and it's got some of the most like intense scream vocals um on the record and then it completely drops off and and changes from changes from this like uh anger into something that's a, a little bit like bitter resignation but also like um uh not not entirely negative feeling yeah yeah so yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure exactly how to describe it but yeah something kind of like a realization sort of thing maybe I think so. Yeah, yeah, actually, that's that does summarise it really well, and <laughs> and for the lyrics, that yeah, fits yeah. quite well as well. So it feels like, um, yeah, for me, it's just a very satisfying yeah. ending to a song, and um, it's is the most because it's one of the most intimate parts. I do feel the most self conscious playing it. Yeah, but then because of that, it's kind of more liberating to yeah, to yeah. get it out of your system as well. So cool, perfect. <laughs> Nay, thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate. Thank it. you for having cool. me. That's cool, man. So there we have it, folks. Again, a massive thanks to Natty for taking some time to have a little chat with me. Um, as mentioned at the very beginning of the chat, Casas are currently on a short run of shows with uh, a band from Mexico called Joliet. Um, so I will post uh, the rest of the dates they've got in the description of this uh, podcast. Um, I do want to give Joliet a, a quick shout out, though, because they're currently embarking on a near two and a half month tour, which is absolutely insane. Um my friend uh, Adam Parrish, who's in in Svalbard, me and him were were having a little chat with their their TM, and she was saying that that's what they wanted, so that's what they've got. But it's a nuts amount of dates that they they've got going on. So if they're playing anywhere near you, please go see them, go check them out. I highly recommend them. They were really cool when when I watched them on Sunday, and I've, I've been a fan for them for a while. So yeah, go check them out. Um, that's it for this week. Um. Things are kind of up in the air for next week at the moment. I'm hoping to get a couple of recordings done this week. So if that all happens, one of those will be next week's episode. Um, but if not, 
you're going to be without me for a week, so I'm sorry, but we'll return uh, with a Wrestling Roundtable episode for Money in the Bank, which is shaping up to be pretty rad. Um, But yeah, for now, thank you again for joining me on the Justin Insight Podcast, and I'll see you soon.